A very auspicious day, Vesak. And uh, Samanera's Amara Siri and Siri Medo have asked to, for Upasampata today to the Sangha. And we, of course, are happy to oblige. And so we've set a date, September 16th. So if you have nothing to do when you're around, please come. You're all invited. Klaus, you're invited. Mia Cole, you're invited. Ordination, September 16th. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so today we, we recollect the life of the Buddha, the birth, the enlightenment, the Parinibbana, in our own ways. Because I think each one of us have a, has a different sense of the Buddha, some mix of narrative and myth and history. Some prefer a very mythical, almost allegorical rendering of his life. Some like a very historical, factual kind of uh, representation of his life. But whatever perceptions and ideas that we have of the life of the Buddha, I think we all agree that we're very fortunate to be living at a time where we can contemplate this teaching and live in this extraordinary way as as monastics and people in a monastery. So a sense of gratitude would be obvious, uh, a sense of devotion, gratitude. And these are important to bring forth into the mind because the dealing with your own mind is endlessly problematic and dealing with the body and then dealing with uh, stuff accounts and buildings and bridges and roads and ticks and and people and so the, the, the worldly dhammas are constantly uh, challenging us and falling apart and we're trying to put it together and again and again um, and we're trying to do all this worldly work within the context of uh, a mind which is awake, which is awake to the way things are. So the stuff that we do is important, but the way we do it is also important. So to, to, to recollect on the life of the Buddha, to look at a Buddha image and to kind of just take the time to think about what what that teaching you know, has offered you, has given you as as a human being, what it, what uh, avenues of spiritual journeying it has offered, what types of reflections and analyses and uh, social conventions. Oh, there's so much in the Buddhist teaching that we are given. So, just to take this time this evening when we sit up to 12 o'clock and to bring forth a sense of the wonder and awe of this being who um, had not only powerful spiritual realization but had also very powerful 
capacity to transmit that, to teach, and to, and even more so to create a, a monastic order within which lay people can participate uh, in the life of a monastery that is still running 2,561 years after his part in Ivana. It's extraordinary. It's really, really extraordinary. And we wouldn't want to take it for granted. So, when you bring forth attitudes of respect and awe and wonder and gratitude, then that puts that puts uh, uh, the rest of our lives, troublesome parts of our lives, or our relationships, or our bodies, or our health, or the uh, things we do in a monastery, the kind of more difficult parts, it puts it in, into a perspective that makes it not such a big deal. Because right? we, can, we can very much get preoccupied with our intense personal relationships, or uh, bodily aches and pains, or whatever it might be, our psychological problems. And so the mind is just revolving around uh, a sense of self, a sense of my problems and my life. And then when you expand the mind to something bigger, to say, like the Buddha, his life, his teaching, his offering, his compassion, and that we have a way, a path, then that gives, uh, I think, a sense of lightness or a perspective on our own inner workings and outer workings. So do that, do that quite consciously. Because we all feel gratitude, but sometimes we don't consciously actually bring that forth. So this recitation, 28 Buddhas, is a sort of a formal way of expressing that. Bhutanu um, Sati, you can reflect on the qualities of the Buddha. Itipiso, chant that a bunch of times. There's so different ways to do it. And, uh, as I was saying earlier today, the teachings of the Buddha, um, well, the way we have it, our history, is that he was reluctant to teach because he felt, felt this is too subtle, too difficult for people to see. And then uh, through the forces of goodness, uh, he was persuaded that there are people who have little dust in their eyes. And perhaps that's us. I don't know. Perhaps it's us. Uh, so he taught for the sake of and benefit of many beings. Taught for 45 years. A long, long time. Uh, amazing. So the, the compassion of the Buddha, and, and Buddhism really emphasizes that, doesn't it? Uh, Mahayana, the the uh, Dalai Lama is just radiance, compassion. So all traditions, all traditions emphasize it, no matter what their doctrinal differences are, that, that basic uh, human mm, empathy for the suffering of others is, is fundamental to a, a Buddhist lifestyle. And, and Buddhism is a, is a lifestyle, it's not just a, a doctrine which you adopt and then self-analyze yourself to smithereens <laughs> rather it is there's a whole way of, of living and expressing and relating socially as well as meditating so the way of compassion is is um, fundamental to understanding I think the Buddhist path and 
so there's many many avenues to compassion and remember that the compassion is always described in this exalted way uh, unlimited in all directions above below and everywhere to all beings to all types of beings big or small uh, it, it's always um, it's never particular is it it's not like to have compassion uh, for the Buddhists but not to have compassion for the jihadists to have compassion for uh, my my parents but not to have compassion for the neighbors who have a smelly dog that poos all over my lawn or something like that so it's universal compassion and, and, and that is quite a quite a challenge because it's easy to be compassionate to a, a puppy dog that has sliver in its paw <laughs> or you know someone you like it's hard to have compassion to someone who gets up your nose uh, you know someone that um, you just find irksome or you just don't want you want to ignore or, or dismiss or whatever and if we you know if we're practicing universal loving kindness a universal compassion then it's interesting to, to see if, 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 if there are, like, can we be, we can be kind to one person, but then in the next moment be unkind to another person. You need to ask yourself, well, why is that? Why? One of the things I've often done is ask, so Vajan Chah saw the way I'm relating to humanity now. How would he feel? And I know those bits were... I wouldn't want Ajahn Chah to know how I'm relating the bits where I've been dismissive or arrogant or or uh, condescending, whatever it is. And, and I think that's a really, really good area to look at. How, why can I be kind and open-hearted to one person, but I can't do it universally? And that's not so much a demand that you have to do that, but to see that part of the heart which relates to one part of humanity can do it. I can relate to this person in a way which is compassionate, which is kind, which is considerate, which is patient. This other person, um, I tend to dismiss, them. and that—that's a kind of self-awakening. And if you—if you watch that, if you observe that, then at some point, one is going to notice that that negative relationship to another person will produce remorse. Because you'll finally see, oh, that was unkind, or that was cruel, and that wasn't the same as the person that I like. And that the arising of, of, of remorse is a is a, actually a very beautiful quality in the human heart. Now, as I was saying at tea time the other day, remorse is not guilt. They they might seem very similar, but actually they're opposites. Because guilt is actually a form of aversion. Whereas remorse, remorse is a form of love. When I, when I, when I relate to someone in a way which is arrogant or dismissive or, or insensitive or domineering or whatever, uh, certainly not compassion. When I relate to to a person in that way, and then I see that, and I see how hurtful it is to that person, and I and I kind of see for myself, oh, that person's in pain. And that pain came from my arrogance, from my insensitivity. And when I notice that, if I see their pain, I get out of my 
self-narratives and self-importance and in the seeing of that there's love and it's the love of compassion or the love of empathy it's not sentimental it's actually very painful very painful remorse but it's a very good pain because it's humbling it's humbling and it connects us now it connects us to humanity in a way that we might be connected with someone we like someone we feel friends too but it's very limited because it's just based on liking. This is much grander. So when remorse arises, when remorse arises, it's very important to actually hold that in the heart, to hold that, that feeling in the heart, not to just run away from it by asking for forgiveness even. Eventually you should ask for forgiveness, but it's something feeling the pain of remorse, feeling that for, for, for some period of time, humbles the heart, opens the heart, and some, and dissolves a lot of the arrogance that we have as human beings. Guilt, on the other hand, guilt. Guilt is a, it's, guilt is a lot of thought, and, and the thought is self-hating. shouldn't have done that, I'm a terrible person, it's horrible, I shouldn't be like that. And, and so guilt is not remorse, and guilt is not skillful, and guilt actually leads to the same arrogance, because it's aversion, it's anger. So it might feel right to hate yourself, but it's actually, it's actually counterproductive, to say the least, and reproduces the same aspect of mind, because the aspect of mind, which is arrogant and unkind and lacking in compassion, is actually a form of aversion. It's not a form of empathy and love. Empathy and, and compassion is not sentimentality. It's not kind of, oh, you know, it's not feeling sorry for people either. It's not that. One, it can be, it can be a very motivating factor in life, compassion. But it's not like just feeling sorry for it, because that's still thought. Em empathy or, or compassion is something which is before thought. It sees the pain of others. It knows the pain of others. And what to, and to do that, what do you need to do? You have to get out of your head, get out of your own kind of trips of, of running around the world in whatever way we run around the world, and connecting to life, being mindful, being mindful of another person. So other people, then, especially those people that that we find irksome or difficult, are a, are a source of edification if we have the presence of mind to see that you know, there's something going on here, something I need to understand. If we don't, if we don't, then um, we just continue in our kind of sociopathic ways of of uh, differentiating and, and, and dismissing one person and and being compassionate to another. And then quite often we have blind spots, you know, we don't see it. We, we kind of think we're kind, but there's some person that we dismiss. So it's a good one to reflect upon. Doing things like when you, when, you know, when you're, when you're relating to someone, how would Ajahn Chah, if Ajahn Chah was watching me right now, how would he feel about my speech, about my action, about my behavior. Uh, kind of bring him along, put his sangati down, or put his uh, sitting cloth beside you, have him, uh, have him check you out. And Because and, uh, it certainly happens in real life when, when, when your teacher is around or someone you really re respect is around, we tend to really behave ourselves, don't we? We kind of on our best behavior. I, fortunately, I get everyone on their best behavior. It's a good come of being a senior monk, right? 
But then when, it, when, when that's not around, sometimes those negative impulses and those um, more meaner aspects of our mind become conscious. And it's not to say that, the, you know, that one... It's not a demand that you're perfect, but awakening to those meaner aspects uh, and beginning to see, oh, wow, yeah, with this person there's a really dismissive tone, or with this person there's a really kind of almost condescending tone, but this person there's a lot of respect. Now, you could, you know, obviously Ajahn Chah would garner a lot of respect because of his practice, but to to give everyone a lot of respect because they're a human being is a much, much grander uh, grander kind of uh, expression of the human heart. Obviously we're different, different people draw different uh, things from us, but when you, when you read like Long Paul Liam's um, No Worries, where he talks about his own enlightenment experience and where he says people were just people, just the way they were. There were, there were no fat people, no thin people, no big people, no small people, no bad people, no good people. People were just people. Ain't it? And he's got this this way of just seeing what's there right now, in a very welcoming way. You are, you know, this is just the way it is. And then from that welcoming, open, attentive attitude, then he can teach and he can be with in a way that uh, is, is delightful, even if he says nothing. Um, he's a very advanced being, a very uh, accomplished being. Um, so, so using using sangha life and the relationships we have as a way of understanding ourselves is is very much part of Theravada Buddhism, especially in the communal aspects that Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Sumedho emphasize that that to 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 see the the irritations and the condescensions that we have towards some people and, and towards others not. And if we don't awaken to that, then we're not really aware. If we're just functioning from kind of habitual reactive patterns, then, then, then we'll be very much stuck by them. And um, then our kind of, as I like to joke, that sociopathic side of ourselves will, will always be our limitation. Uh, so Ajahn Chah would say, you know, work, work with the people you don't like. Learn to speak with the people you dislike. I'm not, I'm not saying there's any kind of big arguments going on, um, but just, just observe that. that what, is, what does compassion feel like? What is it like when you, when you observe someone's uh, predicament and trouble and you, and you have, wow, that must be difficult. We do that, don't we? You know, people come to me, they're... Um, Maybe they have terminal cancer, or their son is sick, or you know they just had a horrible divorce, and and, and you just feel, wow, that must be difficult. And I, I don't have any solution to people's problems, but that's not my job. It's not so much to give solutions to their problems, but just to kind of feel, to give them the space to think, wow, and to to say my life is really difficult. And I can say, yeah, your life is difficult, and that's. That's a big thing. So compassion is that capacity to enter into the other person's shoes. Even even someone who has a, you know, kind of horrible, horrible, they do horrible things. What was it? When when, um, when Pol Pot died, the, the, the um, Cambodian, horrible Cambodian leader of the Khmer Rouge, 
uh, there was a picture in the, one of the news agents that, that uh, he was in some village in northern Cambodia and there was the, his funeral pyre. And his funeral pyre was a few logs and a few tires. It was pathetic. It was just absolutely pathetic. They just chucked his body there and, and put on these tires and logs. It was so pathetic. And interesting, Ajahn Sumedho, uh, now everyone kind of hated Pol Pot because he was such a monster. So, you know, people tended to say, yeah, that's what he deserved, that's his karma, good riddance. And as you know, Lompa Sumedho at the breakfast meeting, he said, you know, Pol Pot probably loved his dog. You know, he, kind of, he tried to look at some, some aspect of goodness in this horrible, horrible monster. Which I thought was very, it was a, you know, people didn't really want to swallow it. Yeah, yeah, he might have liked his dog, but he killed three million people in a horrible way. And I was just, I was just trying to, I think, get us to look at, well, this man, even though he's a monster, still suffered, still suffered. Which isn't condoning or forgiving or, or saying it's right. It's not, it's not that, it's just saying, um, it's actually taking, taking the Buddha's teaching and saying, Compassion is for all beings. And not like not liking what people do, but seeing when people do foolish things, they suffer. They really, really suffer and, and we know the consequences of that. So this this frees the heart from the alienation and separation of, of, of judgment and and fear and all and anger and all these different states of mind that that cause us uh, you know, so much turmoil and so much suffering. The, of course, the balance to, to these Brahma-viharas is that they all function from the mind which is freed from separation, freed from its um, delusions, so kindness, joy at the goodness of others, and of course equanimity. That um, I know for myself, just talking with lay people and hearing about their problems, I've always had to learn how to have enough coolness of mind to say, well, I can't, I can't fix their problem. Um, and so there's a difference between, like when someone comes to you with a problem and you're, you're a monastic, um, and this happens to all of us because part of our work is to serve the lay people, and when it happens, you, you quite often when you begin doing this kind of relating, even before you're a monk, you think you have to fix it. You have to fix their problem, fix their divorce, fix their cancer. But, but that's really another desire. And that desire arises because you don't want, you feel uncomfortable with their suffering. You, you, you feel like you're trying to, you know, I can do something, I can fix something. And so quite often, but people don't want that. They don't want their problems fixed, not from us. They just want to be felt. They want to feel that someone's hearing their suffering and feels empathy. And that's a lot. That's a lot. I just met her once, uh, I was, uh, this was in London, and there's a woman that came, she came all the way from Scotland to talk to him. And she just poured it out for an hour and a half or two hours. And she had the most complex problems. I, I, I can't remember them, but it was just so many, so many problems. And he just listened and listened and listened and listened and asked a little question and then listened and listened and listened. 
And, I, and he didn't give any answer. He didn't give any doctrine, no solutions. He just listened. And then it ended. He said, would you like a cup of tea? He said, well, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. And, and I, I thought, yeah, that's all, that's all she needed. He couldn't fix all those problems. And that was compassionate. It took a lot of patience. She was really going for it for a long time. But no one had really listened to her, maybe. And so he listened, listened, listened. And then he didn't try to fix it. Had a cup of tea. She said, oh, that was wonderful. Thank you, Bunte. And went on her way. And, and uh, that... So, so what is compassion? And it is a capacity to listen. And maybe not just to the audio part of the program, but to the you know, being receptive to this person that's in front of me now. And what does that require? That requires getting out of my own trip, getting out of my own self-importance, um, and getting out of my, my busyness or whatever it is, and say, well, this is a human being here. This person suffers. I suffer. They suffer. They have feelings. They're sensitive, right? Uh, that's, that's a good thing to do. Now we can become sentimental, and and you know that that's the other extreme. You say, "Oh, did I hurt you, darling? <laughs> I'm sorry. I said I swore." Ooh, poor ears. That's not where we're going either, because a bit of swearing, I think, is you know, it's, it's all right. Because we're not going to some kind of smarmy, sentimental place where we can't say strong things to each other. No, that would not be a man's community. That would be a... I don't know what kind of community it would be. So we will say strong things to each other, you know, you turkey or, or worse. And that's okay too, because we are men and we have feelings and we feel strong and we, we argue and, and, and do neat things like that. Um, so it's not like a kind of goody-good outfit we're going to be goody good all the time, but just understanding how to then hear a person, feel a person, see a person from a, a heart which tries to put, where, where you try to put yourself into their shoes. What does it feel like to be this person? And to disagree with them. That's fine too, that's all right. But empathy, you know, disagreement from empathy is never aggressive or challenging or put down. It's just disagreement. But it's coming from a place, oh yeah, I see where you're coming from, yeah. But where I'm coming from is this. And it seems to me you have communication and communion. It's not easy. And the heart, developing the heart is not, not really, really easy. But as monastics, because we, we're the same, <laughs> the same people living with each other all the time, our buttons can get pressed. But it's no big deal. It's not a really big deal. But it's big enough that it can hurt, and then we can learn from it. Learn from it. And this is one of the ways that we develop a sangha, is through this kind of compassionate listening. All right, so I'll leave that for your reflection. Sadhu. <coughs> <coughs>